Good evening to you all uh, on this evening of Thursday the 3rd of November from Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and the Equipment Service for the Visually Impaired. A very warm welcome to new and regular listeners alike, and the service is free to you all, and our volunteers are always sending their very warmest good wishes to you. We are available to communicate any help to you if you need anything via telephone number 01905 767766. Please understand it's not continually manned, but any message you leave will be picked up and no one is ever ignored. So good or bad, happy or sad, we are always here to to hear from you and we enjoy hearing from you too. Uh, And you can always leave a note in your wallet if you prefer to do that. And uh, that will be returned to us, obviously, as, of course. Right. Uh, my name is Kate. I'm joined tonight by Janet and Liz. And Barry Hurd is our technician. And Sue. Oh, Sue has arrived as well. So Sue is also here. Uh, so that's Sue, Janet, Liz. Uh, and um, I've just said Barry is our technician tonight. Um, so that's rather nice. Welcome, Sue. Just a fraction eight. That's all right. <laughs> um and behind the scenes, of course, keeping everything running smoothly, which is a very important and part of, uh, of the whole thing, is Carol Hartis and her very hard-working team, who we thank very much tonight. Uh, 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 they aren't here tonight, but obviously they work during the day and we benefit from their very hard work, and that's how you get your memory sticks on time. Um, right, now... Um, well, I think we'll start off with um, uh, the birthday book and we'll see um, also the sunrise and sunset times so you can be aware of when to put your lights on and when you don't, you can be happily uh, going around it without any um, lights on in the day and save a little bit of electricity. So I'll do that for you. Um, uh, we have, um, let's see, who have we got here now? Oh, on the 11th of November, Josephine Harris... Has a birthday, so happy birthday to you. On the 13th, Sally Bodie has a birthday, so we say happy birthday to you too, and we hope you have a lovely day. If you have a, a birthday coming up, please, please let us know, uh, and um, we will include you in our, our list every time you know your birthday comes around. We're happy to say happy birthday to you and give you a mention, so everyone knows. So I hope that you two people enjoy your, your day. Entertainment news for the coming week. That's also um, in our local theatres and also there are some outside activities as well which we'll get to. Liz will do this for us. Thank you. So Worcester Theatres, which is the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall, um, on the uh, between the 8th and the 12th of November is something called Don't Stop Believing, um, which is Worcester Musical Theatre Company. It starts at 7.30 with a Saturday and Sunday matinee at 2.30. On the 11th of November at Huntington Hall is Toya, which is Toya Wilcox, the anthem tour. Friday the 11th at 7.30. At Huntington Hall, actually on the 8th, which is Tuesday, is a talk. The Institute of Physics presents the James Webb Telescope, the ultimate space detective. Um, which has replaced the Hubble telescope. And so there's a, um, a presentation uh, talk about that. Um, a spe- the speaker is Sophie Allen from the National Space Academy. 
On Sunday the 13th of November, this is an afternoon event at Huntington Hall at 3 o'clock, is Cardusi's Spring String Quartet. Um, and on the 16th, looking ahead a little bit at Huntington Hall, Lucy Cook Bitch, the female of the species. Uh, and that's uh, at 7.30pm. Uh, I think that's probably all at um, those two venues. At number eight, uh, the Pershaw uh, Theatre. Uh, on the eighth, there is an exhibition, if anyone's interested in art, it's at seven o'clock. And on Saturday, the 19th of November, at 7.30, Simon Goodall and the Born Again Shadows, celebrating Cliff and the Shadows. Uh, for ballet, and that's until the 22nd of November, the Royal Ballet and Darwin Celebration. So that's the Pershaw Theatre, and their box office number is 01386 Going over to Droitwich, to the Norbury, um, we have on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 5th of November, uh, Whimsical Theatre Encore Group present Pasek and Paul, Irving Berlin, Ashman and Menken. Whimsical Theatre. It's uh, celebrating musical works of these varied writers. And that is at 7.30pm. And then on the 12th of November, uh, the Norbury Players are presenting Aladdin. Uh, and that is at 2pm and 6pm. On the 16th of November is Downton Abbey, A New Era. And so that is a play... Um, about Downton Abbey and that's at 7.30pm and their telephone number box office is 01905 770154 and at Malvern Theatres on the uh, between the 7th and 12th of November at the Festival Theatre is the 24 carat comedy caper The Lavender Hill Mob and uh, there's various dates and times on that. Box office number is 01684 89277. Uh, the 14th to the 19th of November, looking a little bit further ahead, is Agatha Christie, The Mirror Cracked. And again, um, various times and seat prices for that. It's um, an adaptation. And any of you with children <laughs> is um, uh, in the daytime, Wednesday, oh no, the second and the third, they've gone. Peppa Pig, Peppa Pig's best day ever, I've seen that. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Um, on the 10th of November at 7.45pm is the ultimate live show for reggae fans, Absolute Reggae. Uh, and again, that's at Malvern. Uh, and that's that's it. Okay, thank well, you. thank you very much, Liz. Mm. Uh, I think there's something there for mm. pretty much everybody, mm. and uh, otherwise you can always tune into your radios and or televisions, mm. whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, uh, Janet will give us some useful telephone numbers. Um, so over to you, Janet, please. Right. Well, there's it's Colin Chance Harris we're at, so I'm giving you the um, address as well. Eleven Wilds Lane, Worcester. WR five one DA 
And the phone number, you've already had it, but I'll say it again. 01905 767766. And now we've got Police Non-Emergency is 101. NHS Direct 111. Out of Hours Medical Assistance 0300 123 3211 between 6 and 8pm. Crime Stoppers 0800 treble 5 treble 1. The Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council here to help 01905 768053 and choose option 3. Community Risk Team in brackets fire safety 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800 980 3331. Sense Adventures Walking for Visually Impaired on, is D. Jones on 01684 891 297 stroke 07920 Listen to instructions, press 1 and listen again, press 1 again to delete. We've also got some info about Western Power. It you, it's now to be called the National Grid. And the number there that you need is 0800 917 Use this number in event of a power cut. 24-hour service that's given. Priority service register, free. To register, 0800 032 8302. We'll provide info in Braille, large print or alternative languages. And I think that's that's all we've got there. That's right. lovely. Thank you very much, okay. Janet. Um, right, uh, we'll now begin with the headlines for the week and some news items that you may find interesting. And I think uh, oh, just prior to that, Sue is just going to give us sunrise and sunset, which I omitted after the birthdays. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> so um, sunrise is going to be at 7.07am and sunset will be 4.37pm. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. And Janet, if you'd like to start with the headlines, please. The headline here is Ex-Boss Leading Bid for Warriors. Steve Diamond has entered the frame to save Worcester Warriors after outlining his plan to buy the rugby club. Diamond, who was the club's director of rugby, confirmed he would be leading the company named Six Ways Village in attempting to buy the club out of administration. The bid will be backed by two local investors, but their names will remain private until they are successful with their bid. Diamond will be the chief executive of the company and has brought in Mike Blood and Simon Cohen as his non-executive directors. 
The aim of the company will be to bring Premiership Rugby back to Worcestershire in the next three or four years. Diamond confirmed he is prepared to accept and embrace relegation to the second tier championship if his bid is successful and believes Warriors will enhance the competition. He also confirmed that a buddy system would be adopted, with Worcester working alongside Gallagher Premiership clubs, Bath Rugby, Sale Sharks and Leicester Tigers to utilise player pools and develop younger talent. Warriors were suspended from all rugby and condemned to relegation after the club was placed into administration at the back end of September. That was followed in early October by the company that employed all staff and players being liquidated in court over an unpaid tax bill in the region of £6 million. Players and staff therefore had their contracts automatically terminated and since then no less than 27 players have moved on to new clubs. But after months of uncertainty and gloom, Diamond now officially joins the duo of Jim O'Toole and James Sanford in going public with his plan to purchase the Warriors. Diamond suggested that a buyer would be confirmed by the end of November either way, but is hopeful he will be successful. I have done this before at sale. I'm a rugby man with business ideas, he said. Whoever is fortunate to be successful has to have their right credibility behind them. They have to have the skill set to get the rugby right over the next three or four years to get the club back into the Premiership. But he has also to have the business knowledge to know the feel for what we are doing. For us to be successful, we need to buy in from creditors, local community and local rugby clubs. The decision has to be what is best for creditors and then the business going forward. Diamond also referred to the legend that is Cecil Duckworth, stating his legacy as being imperative for him also. I want Cecil Duckworth's leg legacy to be maintained, he added. We need rugby people to take this club forward again. This city and region needs good news. They will put up with growth and development. And Saturday's headline was that people were too scared to sleep after police were called to a house and evacuated from their homes. Residents were left frightened and too scared to sleep after police evacuated them from their homes late at night. People living in Glenthorne Avenue said the emergency services arrived just before 11pm on Thursday the 27th of October. Officers said residents needed to leave their homes after receiving reports of a vulnerable person's behaviour at a property in the street. Emergency services remained at the scene till the early hours of Friday morning and one man has been arrested. Nicolette Jones, who has lived in the area for 25 years, said, We came back at around 10.30pm after celebrating my daughter's 30th. The front of the street was cordoned off with a fire engine. I was really frightened. It was not a nice feeling. I was really scared for my own and my family's safety. She continued, I saw it all happen. Around 1am, we could hear them bashing down the door. I was too frightened to go to bed. 
we heard police and firefighters talk to a man through his bedroom window. Some of the residents had to leave their homes and they were not allowed to stay on the street. One couple were evacuated from their home at around 10.45pm. One of them said, I was just dozing off and there was a bang at the door saying we had to go and we just complied. We saw the police ask a man to come to the top of his drive. People weren't allowed to enter the street. We dropped off the dog at my mum's and then sat in the car until 2am. The police wanted to talk to one of the neighbours but I don't know why. The couple who have lived in the area for three years said they saw a Cadent gas company arrive towards the end of the night. A spokesperson from West Mercia Police said the incident in Glenthorne Road has been safely resolved. Thank you to local residents for their patience and support of our officers while doing their job. A spokesperson from West Midlands Ambulance Service said we were called to reports of concern for a patient's welfare at a property on Glenthorne Avenue at 10.34pm. Two paramedic officers and the Trust's hazardous area response team attended the scene. On arrival, we discovered one male patient who, following assessment, was left in the care of the police. And on Monday, the headline was Road to 900,000. As many as 25,000 fines have been handed out in two years to drivers caught using a city centre bus lane. Tens of thousands of fines were issued to drivers who were caught on camera using the Lowesmore bus lane in Worcester. Figures show that Worcestershire County Council has raked in £900,000 from the fines in just under two years. The council's cameras went live in late 2020 with drivers, including taxis, facing a fine of £60 if found to be illegally using the key route. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, said the data shows that the recent changes in enforcement has reduced the number of non-public service vehicles using the bus lanes. The County Council took on responsibility for enforcing the bus lanes from the police in 2020 to ensure that the lanes were used appropriately and to ensure that disruption to the public transport network is minimised. Earlier this year, some of the city's Labour councillors called on the County Council to scrap the ban on taxis using the bus lane to cut queues and help people already struggling with the cost of living who are forced to take a longer route. More than 15,000 fines were handed out between September 2020 and October 21, and another 9,800 drivers were slapped with penalties between November 2021 and August of this year, according to figures provided by Worcestershire County Council, following a Freedom of Information request. The fines handed out in the 12 months between September 2020 and October 2021 amounted to more than one million, but the County Council received just over half of that at 551,000. In the following 11 months, between November 2021 and August 2022, the 9,868 fines handed out to drivers amounted to £689,600, and the County Council received just under 350,000. 
A total of 2,357 fines were handed out in October 2020, the first full month the cameras were in operation, which was yet to be topped as the most handed out in a single month. An average of 1,085 fines are handed out each month based on the latest figures. The figures for 2022 show that the number of fines handed out each month has not passed 1,000, with the 908 fines in May the most handed out in a single month this year. And this is the headline for Tuesday, November the 1st. 999 Shake-Up Revises Emergencies Downgrade on 999 Calls some of the most serious emergency calls are to be downgraded by the region's ambulance trust from today in a bid to cut response times to heart attacks and strokes. West Midlands Ambulance Service, which has some of the worst handover delays in the country, will be taking part in an NHS trial which will see some of the most serious Category 2 calls, such as strokes, heart attacks, sepsis and burns, reassessed by clinicians to find out how quickly paramedics need to respond to the emergency and whether an ambulance is needed at all. But while the NHS says the move will be prioritising the response times to time-sensitive emergencies such as heart attacks and strokes, which should be responded to within 40 minutes, it will still mean many 999 calls will not be treated as such. The move, which is also being trialled by London Ambulance Service, is expected to affect around 40% of Category 2 999 calls, the NHS said. The results of the trial will then be used to establish whether some of the least serious Category 2 emergencies, such as some types of burns, can be definitely downgraded into Category 3, which are urgent but not immediately life-threatening. A spokesman for the NHS said, This trial, supported by clinicians, will start in two areas of the country with the aim of speeding up ambulance response times for the sickest patients who need care and treatment most quickly in a similar way to how Category 3 and 4 calls currently work. The proposal being tested will see a clinician call and assess those patients who could be treated through other services such as a community response. Earlier this month, the region's ambulance service admitted that long handover delays had been at catastrophic levels for 12 months and not showing any signs of improving. Some of the most serious and at-risk patients, including those who have had strokes, are still having to wait almost two hours for an ambulance to arrive, with many needing help after falls, facing agonising waits of 12 hours or more. The county's NHS bosses have already admitted they have been forced to choose between treating patients in corridors or in the back of an ambulance as they prepare for another shortage of beds this winter. The struggles continue for already under-pressure NHS staff in Worcestershire ahead of a hectic winter with trust chiefs admitting it is already short of 45 beds. As many as 20 people a night are said to be waiting in A&E for beds that cannot be provided and the hospital trust is having to make risky decisions and 
decide between moving patients to corridors or keeping them in the back of an ambulance for, for treatment. This one is all about heating and saving energy. It says growth and how we can help save energy. Well, what a month. Not a credit to our political leaders, nor to our national reputation. Truss and her followers have come and gone, primarily over the issue of what her government and economists call growth, and how this was to be delivered by a plan that totally failed on impacting with the reality of international economics. So what is this growth? And we are told we all seek so much. According to the Office for National Statistics, ONS, there are several ways of measuring GDP. The commonest is GDP from the expenditure exp approach, GPD in brackets E, measures the total expenditures, money spent on all finished goods and services produced, consumed within the economy. As we have now seen and been subjected to over the last month or so, GDP growth can also be boosted by increased spending now by us and the government using borrowed monies at the expense of the next generation, i.e. increased mortgage payments. Should our leaders be advocating living within our means, in within our means not mortgaging the future? There are many things which raise GDP that don't make the country better off. War is one example. A lot of money is spent, so GDP goes up. Increased crime, ill health, road congestion, pollution of, pollution of our air and our rivers all incur additional expenditure and therefore increase growth. A growth that environmentalists would call planetary ruin. It's just not possible to have infinite consumption of resources, growth on a finite planet. It is a recipe for the catastrophe we are experiencing with climate change and accelerating biodiversity loss. I suspect many of us would consider that our happiness and overall wealth might be better measured by a sense of security, good health, well-being, a future for our children in a world that is ecologically sustainable and pollution-free. It was interesting to note that when the Trust Government announced their Master Plan for Growth, the NHS and climate change did not get a mention. What did star was the fact that Trust would seek to increase production of fossil fuel on the UK by taking the restrictions off fracking and drilling in the North Sea. Underlining this is the fundamental fact that GDP only really measures our gross fossil fuel stroke energy consumption, including that embodied in our imports. Reduce your household expenditure on energy, domestic and transport, and on food by reducing or eliminating food waste. Will both result in decrease in expenditure? Here, Trust did not want a nanny state. That will encourage and support you in this approach because it will reduce growth and GDP. Maybe pursuing what might be called in economic terms degrowth, reducing our overall energy consumption, has its benefits both to our finances and environment. Fossil fuel and energy, where do we use it? 
commercially stroke industry, transport, domestically and food. We will take a look at transport and food another time. Over the last month or so, there has been prolific advice on how to save energy, some practical, some less so. Install air-sourced heat pumps, fit solar panels, insulate cavity walls and attics, attics, buy an electric vehicle, all valid if you have a thousand or ten to spare. No apologies for restating the no or low cost actions that we can all check now winter is creeping in. These actions are equally applicable to businesses and homes. Having been into office stroked stores running a temperature around 24 degrees C, you might find this advice of interest in establishing a baseline. Minimum workplace temperature, according to HSE, the minimum workplace temperature, the approved code of practice suggests the minimum temperature in a workplace should be normally at at least 16 degrees Celsius. If the work involves rigorous physical effort, the temperature should be at least 13 degrees Celsius. These temperatures are not absolute legal requirements. The employer has a duty to determine what reasonable comfort will be in the particular circumstance. And there's there's headings now. Heating can be high commercially and is the largest component in the household energy consumption. Businesses keep external doors closed, put a big welcome sign up when open. Fit draft excluders to all external doors. Get your bowlers, get your boiler serviced to ensure it is operating efficiently. Thermostat. It is reckoned that a 1% C reduction in the thermostat setting saves up to 10% on energy consumption. And if you turn it down by 3 degrees C and wear a pullover? Programmer. Timer. I have seen office heating programmed to come on three hours before work, Mm. reset to an hour before, and 30 minutes before cease work, no complaints. Home. Check that your programmer is set up so that it comes on, say, 30 minutes before you normally rise, goes off 30 minutes before you close or depart if your house is unoccupied during the day, back on 30 minutes before your return, and off again at night, 30 minutes or more before bed. Programmer. Temperature. Many programmers permit different temperature settings for different times of the day. Consider a lower temperature in the morning whilst rushing around to leave compared with the sit-around evening temperature. Rooms. Only heat the rooms that you are occupying. Radiators off or minimum setting if TRVs are fitted in hall, utility, bedrooms, unless being used for study, stroke work, spare rooms, etc. TRV's thermostatic radiator valves. Typically, the thermostat for the central heating will be sited in the hall where the temperature has little bearing on that in the rooms that you are occupying. However, TRVs permit you to select a setting normally 0 to 5 that will adjust the boiler water flow through the radiator to adjust the temperature you require in that room. Upgrade. You can upgrade or install heating controls without replacing your boiler. 
You should consider new heating controls if you don't have a programmer. At least one room thermostat or TRVs on your radiators. Modern room thermostats, for example, have more accurate temperature sensors and many smart controls include additional energy saving functions. Hot water. Hot water tank, check thermostat set to 60 degrees C. Save hot water. Normally take a bath, take a shower instead. Spend 10 minutes in the shower, in and out in five minutes, preferably. Lighting. Fit LED lights in all those rooms that you, can, that you live in and use, compared with halogens, CFL and traditional tungsten light bulbs. It's a no-brainer in both lifespan and consumption. Savings can be up to 90%. And of course, use the off switch when you and any others in the office or household are not in the room. Offices, all lights off at night other than for security. Well, that's told us, hasn't it? <laughs> okay. Lots to think about, uh, yeah. So Wednesday's headline story is, is about a man who suffered head injuries and was flown to hospital. A man is being treated for life-changing head injuries after being involved in a crash. The 39-year-old was flown to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham in an air ambulance after a crash between the van he was driving and a lorry. The silver Vauxhall Vivaro van and the lorry crashed on Worcester Road in Great Whitley at 11.05am. Paramedics also treated another man at the scene for non-life-threatening injuries before he too was taken to the QE in an ambulance. The road was closed all day, with drivers urged to find an alternative route after traffic had built up throughout the day. A spokesperson from West Mercia Police said, Did you see a collision near Great Whitley at around 11am this morning? This was on Tuesday. A silver Vauxhall Vivaro van collided with a lorry on the A443 between Little Whitley and Great Whitley near to the junction for Whitley Court. The van driver, who was 39, as we've said, was taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital and treated for a life-changing head injury. No other injuries were reported. Anyone who witnessed the collision or captured it on dashcam is asked to get in touch um, with um, on the website westmercia.police.uk forward slash contact forward slash AF forward slash contact hyphen us forward slash quoting incident 181 of the 1st of November. A spokesperson from the West Midlands Ambulance Service said we were called at 11.05am to reports of a collision involving a van and a lorry. Two ambulances, a paramedic officer, the Midland Air Ambulance from Strensham, the Midland Air Ambulance from Cosford and a basics emergency doctor attended the scene. Upon arrival we found two men who were the driver and passenger from the van. The ambulance service said at the time they believed it was the passenger who had sustained life-threatening injuries. They added, he received treatment at the scene before being conveyed to the QE hospital via air ambulance. The driver had sustained non-life-threatening injuries. 
He was conveyed to hospital via land ambulance for further assessment. The police were asking for witnesses who saw the crash to come forward with any information, uh, particularly if they had a dash cam. And on Thursday, that is today, the uh, headline is It has broken our hearts. Rising costs force a cafe to close. The owners of a highly rated cafe have said they are heartbroken to have to close at the cost of living as the cost of living crisis de deepens. Meeting Place took over the former Mac and Jack in Friar Street during the pandemic in 2020. And in a short space of time, the independent business built up a loyal fan base and TripAdvisor was flooded with positive reviews. The community-led cafe focused on serving seasonal dishes and sourced its ingredients from Worcestershire. But now cafe owners Edward and Nancy Little-Jones have said they can no longer compete with rising costs. The couple revealed the news on Facebook and said they have decided to close with a very heavy heart. The couple said, with a very heavy heart, we are sorry to say our little cafe on Friar Street is now closed. It's broken us to have to do this, but we've been left with little choice, I'm afraid. You all know and understand how tough it is at the moment out there, rising costs and less money in your pockets. We've had to make a really quick decision and close. We never want to dwindle on, on sourcing decent ingredients or raise our prices too much, but this economic situation has, well, had the better of us, really. We also need to keep our fantastic children in mind, too, as, as we do struggle to spend enough time with them. The owners described the little cafe as their extended home for the past two years. However, they will be back in the new year for catering events and pop-ups. Mr Jones also wanted to thank customers for the support they have shown. He said, We are devastated to have to close our cafe, but given the financial state we are in, we are all facing as well, we have little choice. We have been blown away by how many lovely and supportive messages we have received on social media and sent us personally. A huge thanks to our suppliers, staff, past and present, and our families for your love and support. See you next year for pop-ups and events. And now just one or two articles um, we'll read from other um, uh, other things that, it, that have been in the papers this week. Um, this one is um, a campaign against child exploitation in Worcestershire has been recognised in regional awards. The West Midlands ADCS Network hosted its annual Team Excellence Awards last week. The awards shine a light on the best practice of 15 local authorities and trusts across the region. Worcestershire Children's First Get Safe team was highlighted due to their dedication and commitment to improving the lives of children and young people at the event. Over the past year, the Get Safe team has achieved many successes, such as the development and launch of Get There for young people aged 16 to 25 years with additional needs and vulnerabilities. The team has been committed to raising awareness of knife crime within the community through the Knife Angel and launch of the Steer Clear programme. Tina Russell, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Children First, said 
These awards are a fantastic opportunity to celebrate the wonderful work and achievements of our team at Worcestershire Children First. Their direct work and engagement with Worcestershire's young people, colleges and youth services have enabled them to identify and report concerns around exploitation. We are continuing to work together in a coordinated and focused way to tackle this challenging and ever-changing form of harm and abuse to our children here in Worcester. As we reported yesterday, analysis by the NSPCC of police-recorded crime data reveals over a 1,000 child exploitation crimes were recorded in the West Midlands last year. During 2021-22, 1,471 crimes were recorded by police in Staffordshire, Warwickshire, West Mercia, West Midlands, an average of four every day. In the same period in England and Wales, there were 17,486 crimes logged by police where children had been sexually exploited, an average of 48 offences a day and an increase of 10% on previous years. The charity is revealing this data as its Childline service launches the full story campaign in a bid to encourage more children and teenagers at risk of or suffering sexual exploitation to use Childline for immediate confidential help. Over the last year, Childline has heard from thousands of young people about sexual exploitation, with some being manipulated into performing sexual sexual activities after being given money, drugs or love and affection. This is something about the Beatles. It's called Long and Winding Gig. A county town is to celebrate the 60th anniversary of a visit from one of the world's biggest bands. The Beatles played a gig in Tembury Wells on April the 15th, 1963, just as they were starting to make it big. Manager Brian Epstein had booked the band to play the Riverside Dancing Club at the Bridge Hotel before they hit the big time. And despite their second single, Please Please Me, going to number one, and the Beatles suddenly being on in demand, Epstein decided they should honour the booking. Beatlemania hadn't fully kicked in, so the Fab Four were able to stroll down the high street before the gig and even stop to get an ice cream. A month later, the four young musicians played Worcester for the first time, treating the crowd at the Gaumont to a seven-song set list of Some Other Guy, Do You Want to Know a Secret, Love Me Do, From Me to You, Please Please Me, I Saw Her Standing There, and Twist and Shout. They returned to Worcester in September 63 for the first of four concerts promoted by John Smith. Epstein granted them as a result of the cancellation of several Mersey Beach showcase nights earlier in 63. The Beatles earned £250 for each of the shows. Tenbury's 60th Fab Four anniversary celebrations get underway on November the 4th with a performance at the Regal by John Lennon tribute act Gaz Keenan. He'll be performing a two-hour Lennon retrospective, including the leg- legendary singer- singer's solo work and Beatles hits. 
Keenan will also be given the task of choosing the winner of the best-dressed competition, as guests are being invited to rock up in their finest 1960s threads. On April 15th, 2023, exactly 60 years to the day since Lennon, McCartney, Harrison and Starr strode into town, the Mersey Beatles will be performing at the Regal. This will form part of a weekend of celebration entitled Before Abbey Road There Was Team Street, with more events to be announced. The Mersey Beatles are one of the world's biggest Beatles tributes and have been celebrating the music of the Fab Four since 1999. And then the next round, There was a large gathering at a city park to commemorate the First World War battle, the Battle of Gullivelt. The commemoration ceremony took place in Gullivelt Park, named in honour of those who fought and fell in the battle. The ceremony was on Sunday, last, the 30th of October. Uh, and it was organised by the Worcester branch of the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regimental Association. The event included the last post, a minute's silence and a singing of the national anthem. During the ceremony, the Reverend Colin Butler, MBE, said, Let us pray for those who died at this time 108 years ago, for those who mourned them and are now themselves departed. For all involved in the Battle of Gullivelt now departed. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Mayor of Worcester, said, Thank you all for coming, commemorating the Battle of Gullivelt and the many who died there. We recognise we are in Gullivelt Park, named after that battle, which was opened in 1922. We were privileged earlier in the year to have a commemoration of the centenary of the park opening. The battle helped turn the tide of the First World War during one of the British Army's darkest hours. During the engagement, 187 men, a third of the battalion's remaining strength, were killed or wounded. A creative stonemasons run by a husband and wife team has been awarded a national prize. The Memorial Awareness Board, MAB, has been promoted and organised the cemetery organised for the Cemetery of the Year Awards for nearly 20 years. Stonemasons of Worcester, based in New Street in Worcester City Centre, won a silver award in the 2022 British Register of Accredited Memorial Masons, sponsored memorial design category of the national competition. They competed against entries from all over the UK and were presented with a BRAMM Silver Award Certificate. Tom Adams from Stonemasons of Worcester said, This award is wonderful recognition for our talented team. It acknowledges their creative prowess and skill to create something as beautiful as Billy's Memorial. We are all extremely proud. Philip Potts of the Memorial Awareness Board said the Memorial Design Award is a relatively new category in the CYA competition and open to any memorial already erected in a cemetery or churchyard within the last five years. The entries were marked on their innovation, personalisation and originality by a team from BRAMM who sponsored the category. The awards are an excellent opportunity to reward, to reward and demonstrate the central role memorial, masons and cemeteries can play in the community.
Cemeteries and churchyards provide places of peace, contentment and beauty, as well as their ecological importance. Mr Adams added, Our goal is not only to help you with any stonemasonry projects you have, but also to offer you a friendly and interested approach to your ideas and our skilled advice. Husband and wife team Adam and Zoe founded Stonemasons of Worcester in 2010. The Cemetery of the Year awards are supported and endorsed by the following leading industrial associations. Actually, there's a picture here uh, that is a, a memorial created by Billy Rowan White by Stonemasons of Worcester, and it is quite incredible. And it's well, you know, well easy to understand why they've got an award. It's beautifully done. Memorial Awareness Board, Institute of Cemetery and Crematorium Management, the Federation of Burial and Crematorium Authorities and the Society of Local Council Clerks and the British Register of Accredited Memorial Masons all take part in uh, awarding these awards. So well done to them. Worcester City Council's Green Group has elected a new leader, Councillor Marjorie Bissett, who was first elected to Worcester City Council in 2019, will replace Councillor Louis Stephen, who has led the authority's Green Group for the last six years following a recent um, vote. Councillor Bissett will take over the reins as leader of the Greens and will be in charge of the party's six councillors in the Guildhall. I am honoured to have been chosen by my fellow fat councillors to be their leader, Councillor Bissett said. Louis has set a high standard and I will try my best to reach it. I believe in collaboration with politics and look forward to working with my fellow group leaders on the council to identify and implement decisions that are the best for the city and its residents. Councillor Bissett, who already chairs the council's important decision-making policy and resources committee, takes over from Councillor Stephen, who is currently serving as deputy mayor of the city. Tradition usually dictates that the deputy mayor serves as many or in the following year, which means Councillor Stephen would replace Labour's Adrian Gregson, who has also stepped down as his party's group leader this year before taking up the mayorship. Councillor Stephen will swap positions with Councillor Bissett and become deputy leader. Councillor Stevens said, I know that Marjorie will be a dedicated leader and will drive the group forward to even greater future success. With many people having to choose between heating and eating, there is much work to be done. Councillor Bissett was first elected in the St Stephen Ward in 2019 to make the two-councillor ward all green for the first time. She also sits on the environmental and planning committees. Big victories for the Greens in Batten Hall, St Peter's and the Arboretum wards in this year's local elections pushed the number of councillors for the party on Worcester City Council to six, up from none in 2012. And now one or two sports stories for you all to hear. Janet will start us. Worcester RFC lost for the second week running 
in the Regional 2 West Midlands last weekend as they were beaten by Whitechurch away from home. Following their 2012 defeat to Hereford at home last Saturday, Worcester made the trip to Shropshire keen to bounce back but were up against it from the off and slipped to a 28-7 defeat. Their failure to take anything from the game also meant they slipped down to fifth in the table, overtaken by both Old Halesonians and Morven. But there was better news for the second team as they romped to a 50 against 10 win over local rivals Redditch RFC. Morven made it five wins in a row on Saturday as they proved too strong in the second half for Evesham in a 46-11 bonus point victory that took them up a place and into fourth. The hosts had trailed 6-0 early on after two Evesham penalties and only led 15-6 at the break, but rallied after the break to run in a total of seven tries to secure the maximum haul of five points. We started slowly and tried to force the game, said Director of Rugby Rob Cook. We took time to get into our usual flow. When we did, we scored some good tries. It is always great to play in front of a big crowd. Today, with the former players' lunch, we had the chance to do that. A big thanks to the crowd, players, coaches and team manager who have created real momentum. We wish Evesham well for the rest of the season. Elsewhere, there was a first defeat of the season for league leaders Ludlow as the inform Hereford cut the gap at the top of the league just to three points with a brilliant 23-7 win away from home. Ludlow had taken the maximum 35 points from their opening seven league games but left the field empty-handed as the visitors produced a terrific performance to seal a statement victory. Bottom of the league, Droitwich improved against Old Halesonians but could not get off on the scoreboard in a 19-0 defeat that sees them still without a single point in the 2022-23 campaign. The other games saw Stratford-upon-Avon beat Crewe and Nantwich 32-18 and Walsall thump Wolverhampton 48-17. The games this weekend see Worcester up against it once more as they face the potentially wounded league leaders Ludlow who will no doubt be keen to bounce back from their first defeat of the season last weekend. Morven travelled to the inform Hereford Evesham host old Halesonians and Droitwich tackles Stratford at home. Worcestershire County Cricket Club have named their new coaches following the departure of Alex Gidman. Alan Richardson and Kadir Ali have been appointed head coach and assistant head coach with former bowling coach Richardson promoted from assistant to the top job. Kadir has been promoted too himself from his role with the second eleven. The pair replace outgoing coach Gidman, who left his role in October after four years in charge. Richardson and Kadir said they are keen to integrate the senior and academy squads together during the winter and help improve young players' development. Before joining the coaching staff in 2018, Richardson had a successful playing career 
appearing in 169 first-class games, claiming 569 wickets, including 254 in his spell at Worcestershire, and was awarded Wisden Cricketer of the Year in 2012. Kadir, who started his career at Worcestershire before playing in over 100 first-class games and representing England under-19s with distinction, has been the second eleven coach since 2019. Further permanent coaching support will also be added to this new setup, with an open process for applications to begin in the coming months. The recruitment of a director of cricket is ongoing. Paul Pridgen, Worcestershire's Cricket Steering Group Chair, said, On behalf of the board, it's a pleasure to welcome Alan and Kadir into their new roles. They both have a deep understanding of the club and are amongst the most respected and progressive coaches around, having excelled in their coaching roles here and in previous roles. They deserve their chance to excel and build on our impressive foundations and they will be further assisted by other important hires over the coming months. We wish them well. Richardson said, I've been involved in the club for a long time now and know its rich history. It's a proud moment for me to take on this role at Worcestershire. Kadir and I always work hard to improve and develop players, and we look forward to working more closely with our professional squad and the famous production line of talent from our academy. All of our efforts will be on helping these players fulfil their potential, both individually and, most importantly, as a team. I feel that we've already got a good relationship with our members and supporters and we'll be looking to build on that and look forward to sharing lots of memorable moments with them. Kadir added, We've got a young, hungry squad and everyone has their best days in front of them. I'm excited about working with the players on a full-time basis. And now a little sad story, but about a hero... Um, former Hereford United legend and Worcester City player manager Ronnie Radford has died at the age of 79. Radford will go down in history as being responsible for one of the most memorable goals in FA Cup history when he scored a 30-yard screamer in the famous 2-1 win for Hereford over Newcastle United in a third-round replay in 1972. Watched by 14,000 fans packed into Edgar Street in Hereford on the 5th of February 1972, Newcastle looked set for a place in the fourth round thanks to a late Malcolm McDonald goal. But Radford won back possession and played a 1-2 before his stunning finish in the 85th minute took the game to extra time. Substitute Ricky George scored the winner as Hereford became the first non-league club to defeat a top-flight side since 1949. A statement from Hereford this afternoon read, We are devastated to hear of Ronnie's passing and wish to extend our deepest condolences to his family and friends at this very sad time. Ronnie is not just a part of Hereford United folklore, he is a part of football history and has kept Hereford on the football map since 1972. His mild manner and friendly and modest approach to life epitomised the man he was and he was always delighted to visit Edgar Street to meet up with past teammates and watch the present day team in action. 
We will always keep Ronnie close to our hearts and not just at FA Cup moments but forever and celebrate him and his huge role in propelling Hereford United to the forefront of the nation's attention with that goal and being part of that team. We will carry your spirit onwards, Ronnie. Later in his career, Radford moved to Worcester City, where he both played and managed in the 1974-75 season. Radford would only last a couple of months in charge, however, as he left due to the club being in financial difficulty. He was succeeded by Nobby Clark shortly afterwards, widely regarded as the greatest ever manager of Worcester City. The news of Radford's death comes just two days before Hereford embark on another potentially giant killing in the world's oldest and most prestigious cup competition. The Bulls welcome League One Portsmouth to Edgar Street on Friday evening, eyeing an upset in the first round proper that kicks off this weekend. Edgar Street will be full to the rafters for the huge match with tickets for the game now completely sold out. This is another um, football story. Worcester City faced the daunting prospect of welcoming Midland Football League Premier Leaguers Walsall Wood to Clanes Lane this Saturday as they look to try and play their way out of relegation trouble. City currently sit in 18th with just eight points from their opening 12 games of the 22, um, sorry, 2022-23 campaign and have just three wins in all competitions this season. In that time, they have seen two managers sacked and now have caretaker boss Stuart Watkins taking the side whilst the club begin the search for a new boss. The squad has the squad, sorry, has been reduced to a large amount of reserve team players, with many senior members injured or having left the club. Watkins admitted many of the players do not even know each other, and now they face a Walsall side who have won 12 out of their 15 league games this season, and are 10 points clear at the top of the MLF Premier. We have to dust ourselves down and try and put a show on, he said. We need to put in a performance that is reflective of the players. Is it going to be tough? Yes, it is um, extremely tough, but then that's what you're up against. That's where we are at the moment, and it's a big task, that's clear. We have reserve players coming in and doing really well but players are playing themselves into the team and players playing themselves out of the team trying to bring players in when they do not know who is the next manager is going to be very difficult but that's what we are having to work with Worcester will take some comfort from Walsall losing their first game of the season midweek at the same time City were being thumped by Stourport Swifts in the MLF Cup. Wood suffered a shock 2-0 defeat away at Darleston Town. That defeat ended in a 14-match unbeaten run in which they won 13 games including a 2-0 win over City at the BBG Stadium. City have not won a league game since October the 1st when they were 1-0 um, winners of Utoxeter Town. In the first game, under new managers, Graham Deakin and Keenan Meakin, 
Richards, who departed the club just 23 days later. This one is a headline, Watch Out for Hedgehogs, which is appropriate for this time of the year. Hedgehog lovers have in issued a plea to think about the animal this bonfire night. The British Hedgehog Preservation Society has asked people to only build a bonfire on the day of it being lit. The Society also stressed that while building a bonfire you should never leave it unattended in case a family pet hides underneath it and to always double check before lighting it. Faye Vass, Chief Executive of the Society, said if a hedgehog is found, take as much of the nest you can with it and place it in a high-sided cardboard box with plenty of newspaper, old toweling or straw. Ensure there are air holes in the lid and that the lid is securely firm to the box, firmly to the box as hedgehogs are great climbers. Right, wet wipes and other unflushable items are causing hundreds of blockages in Worcestershire's sewers every year. Seven Trent said two and a half tonnes of items that should be flushed down the toilet are pulled, should not be flushed down the toilet really, are pulled out of its sewers every week. These can form blockages in sewer pipes which cause sewage to back up into homes, gardens and into the environment. Wipes that manage to reach the sewage treatment works without causing a blockage in the network are removed through a screening process and end up in a rag skip. There is one pictured and it's full of mush. It's horrid. Seven Trent says the average home sewer pipe is about 150 millimetres in diameter, the same as a new roll of toilet paper. So it doesn't take much for a blockage to form. Homeowners are responsible for waste pipes on their property. Operations manager Scott Bergen said, If something doesn't smell good in your neighbourhood, it could be due to a blockage in the sewer and that could lead to a scary mess for everyone in the street. Blockages are the result of people flushing just one wipe here and there or washing the odd bit of fat down the sink with hot soapy water and not realising that it's all collecting in the pipe and creating a gruesome problem. These sewer blockages, if not identified and cleared, can lead to sewers backing up and overflowing into people's homes and gardens, which is a terrible thing to experience and completely preventable. Sewers are only designed to cope with the three P's. Pee, poo and paper. Anything else, including fat, oil and grease from the kitchen and nappies, tampons and sanitary products and wet wipes belong in the bin. Mr Bergen added that homeowners are responsible for the waste pipes running away from their home until it either crosses the property boundary or meets another waste pipe. Blocked sewers can be reported to 7 Trent by calling 0800 783 4444. The family of a young woman who died after falling from a horse have raised more than £100,000 for Midlands Air Ambulance in her memory. Charlotte Cole of Droitwich fell from her horse while training at a Worcestershire racing yard in 2011. 
The 23-year-old was airlifted to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham but died two days later after suffering severe head injuries. In the decade since, Charlotte's family have taken part in dozens of fundraising events in support of Midlands Air Ambulance Charity alongside Evesham-based Claire Dyson Racing and Rehabilitation, where Charlotte was once head girl. Fundraisers have included open days at Frogland Stud Farm, evening events and animal sponsorship of a race in Charlotte's memory at Stratford Racecourse, and the most recent race took the total raised in Charlotte's memory to £108,000, bolstered by a £500 donation by the National Trainers' Federation. Claire Dyson said, while the reason we fundraise for Midland Air Ambulance Charity is out of tragic loss, we are extremely proud to have reached this incredible milestone, having supported the charity over the last decade. We would like to offer our enormous thanks to the many people who have supported our fundraising activities. Their unwavering support and kindness has been very much appreciated and gives us some comfort in honouring Charlotte's memory. Hannah Seabright, Chief Executive for Midlands Air Ambulance Charity, said, Sadly, our advanced critical care paramedics and doctors are called out to a horse rider in desperate need of enhanced pre-hospital care every week. So, so support from the equestrian community is critical to maintaining our service in the rural communities that we serve. The Cole family and Claire Dyson are very dear to us at Midlands Air Ambulance Charity and we are continually grateful for their unfaltering support of our organisation. Their milestone, £108,000 donation over the last 10 years has enabled us to assist more than 60 patients in their critical hour of need at the scene of their accident. To find out more about Midlands Air Ambulance Charity's life-saving work, visit midlandsairambulance.com. A dairy farm has put forward plans to open a new glamping site. Churchfields Farm has submitted plans which would see a new glamping and camping site built at the nearly 300-acre site in Salwarp near Droitwich. The application submitted to Witchaven District Council asks for permission to build four glamping pods and two new amenity pods with showers and toilets for the new camping pitches. The glamping site is expected to be open all the year round with the site opening to campus between April and October. The farm said it is expected to be able to provide accommodation for up to 14 families across its new glamping and camping site, with only four groups accommodated on average in the winter months. Previous planning applications to build on the farm have drawn criticism from some neighbours who said the surrounding roads could be unable to cope with the extra traffic. Churchfields said the additional car journeys created by the extra accommodation would not be unacceptable. A statement included with the application said, given the property history of the farm has has diversified so intensively from purely agricultural business, it is now considered a mixed agricultural holding and tourist attraction. 
both the farming activity and the diversification interact in a way that supports viability of both the farming and um, the church fields uh, ice cream. The site immediately around the farm buildings and the house has been redeveloped to support both the Churchfields ice cream business and the Droitwich salt business that run from the site. This proposal seeks to add to the farm diversification by providing camping pitches and glamping pods at Churchfields farm to allow visitors to stay at the site for longer periods. There is a minimal bill a minimal built form proposed on the site with the glamping and amenity pods being similar in style and material to traditional um, animal field shelters that are commonly found on farms. Various plans to cater for tourists have been approved at the farm and in recent years, including an ice cream parlour, farm shop, children's play area and a maze. You can have your say on the plan by visiting Witchhaven District Council's website. A tribute to the late Bill Turnbull will be played on Pet Classics on Guy Fawkes Night. Charlotte Hawkins has taken over hosting the annual Soothing Music Show on Classic FM from veteran broadcaster Bill Turnbull, who died in September, aged 66. Former BBC Breakfast host Bill last presented the show in 2019 when it was called Pet Sounds. Charlotte Hawkins, 47, temporarily took over in 2021 due to his health and will continue in the role. The broadcaster died at his home in Suffolk after a challenging and committed fight against prostate cancer, his family said two months ago. Pet Classics will be on Friday and Saturday from 5 to 9pm on Classic FM. The council must find new homes for asylum seekers as part of a move by the Home Office to end the dependence on hotels. Worcester City Council is already searching for suitable accommodation for around 66 asylum seekers to meet targets under the government's Asylum Seeker Dispersal Programme. There are currently 115 asylum seekers living in the Founds Hotel off City Walls Road, according to the council. The City Council, along with CERCO, which was awarded the contract by the Home Office to organise its asylum seeker dispersal plans, and the other West Midlands authorities, have been hot-mapping to find suitable locations in the city. The cost of housing and supporting asylum seekers would be paid for by CERCO as part of its contract with the Home Office and the Government has already said it will pay £3,500 per bed. But despite making plans, the City Council said it does not know how much it will all cost. A report which will be discussed by the Council's Communities Committee at a meeting on November the 2nd said 
At this stage, it is unclear as to the full cost requirement for our council in undertaking their role to support asylum seekers to integrate and live within the city, or indeed support them if their applications are rejected. In April, the Home Office wrote to every council saying it would be working to reduce and eventually stop using hotels to house asylum seekers. The move, the government said, would make sure the housing of asylum seekers was fairer. The initial regional model for the West Midlands stipulated that for every 200 people in the city, the council must house one asylum seeker, which would mean that Worcester would be expected to house up to 520 asylum seekers and provide at least 106 beds by the end of 2023 to meet targets. This, the council expected, would mean that around 30 properties, likely to be houses of multiple occupation, from the city's 8,700 privately rented homes, would need to be made available for asylum seekers. Recognising the struggle to find accommodation in rural areas, the criteria has been rejigged and Worcester will now be expected to need around 20 homes for 66 asylum seekers. A man from Worcester will be Mm. taking part in the RAF Falcon parachute display at the 2023 display in California. Flight Sergeant Liam Lyons will be joining the team for a second time as a team coach. Mr Lyons was born in Worcester in February 1983, educated at Nunnewood High School before studying A-levels at Worcester Sixth Form College. He went on to join the, the Army in 2001 before transferring to the RAF as a physical training instructor in 2003. Mr Lyons went on to complete tours at RAF Odium, DCAE Cosford and an operational detachment to Iraq. He was selected for parachuting duties in 2008 and served at the Parachute Training School at RAF Bryce Norton. And in 2011, Liam was selected to join the RAF Falcons for his first tour in the team, remaining as a display parachutist until leaving the team in 2014. After the display's teams, he moved back to PTS and successfully gained promotion to Flight Sergeant in 2020, where he became the liaison officer for 16 Air Assault Brigade in Colchester. The RAF Falcons are the UK's premier military parachute display team, based at RAF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire, and they display at venues all over Britain and Europe. The royal family and heads of state have watched the RAF Falcons over the years and have introduced many exciting innovations into formation skydiving. RAF Defford Museum showcases wartime from the Second World War, costume displays and personal possessions from the time. The museum's summer opening times are 11am to 4.30pm. National Trust members have free entry while charges may apply for non-members. During the Second World War and the Cold War, RAF Defford was one of the most secret places in the country. Airborne radar devices developed by scientists at Malvern and tested at Defford helped to win the Second World War. 
and in the Cold War, Britain and its NATO allies needed radar to stay ahead of Soviet submarines and the threat of nuclear attack from the air. But in 1957, RAF Defford had to close as it was not big enough to take the new V-bombers coming into service. The very last aircraft to leave RAF Defford before the closure was a Meteor NF-11 night fighter, which flew out in April 1958. A plan to build flats in the city centre, rejected once for being cramped, have now been approved by the council. The new proposal would see two new one-bed apartments built behind the recently converted Phoenix House off Broad Street in Worcester, one fewer than previously proposed. Earlier this year, planning officers at Worcester City Council said the application by Nick Carroll, headed Deansway, um, regeneration, could not be approved because the substandard apartments would be too cramped. Despite the size of the apartment still being smaller than the national standard, planners at Worcester City Council said a balcony was sufficient amenity space and gave the green light for the work to be done. A report outlining the approval said, Each flat is served with sufficient amenity space via balconies off the living room areas and floor-to-ceiling windows for bedroom areas. The amenity of the future occupiers' um, development would not be harmed in terms of privacy, overlooking or outlook as a result of the sitting of the proposed openings in the building and the distance between the existing front building and the new building. While small and below the expected level of accommodation, if space standards were adopted, it is considered that the proposed units would provide a suitable level of accommodation for their future occupiers as they would be logically laid out and would not appear contrived or cramped in the layout. The application put forward by Deansway Regeneration said the plan had been revised to address the concerns in the last proposal rejected by planners at Worcester City Council, including alterations to the stop overshadowing and make um, sure the building would be in keeping with its neighbours. The application said the extension would not be dominant or cramped and would be the same size as the existing surrounding buildings. Deansway Regeneration said balcony space for each flat would serve as sufficient amenity space. The main building, fronting Broad Street, which was built in the 1960s, was converted into 17 apartments across four floors and a new office as part of work next to the busy Deansway by the same developer. The application said that the new building would sit next to the four-storey modern-looking extension built last year with a design that fits in with surrounding older buildings rather than the modern extension. Turning back the clocks goes hand in hand with darker evenings and chillier temperatures and many of our pets may benefit from an extra bit of TLC as the seasons change. PDSA vet nurse Nina Downing said colder weather can cause discomfort for some pets, especially those who are young, old or poorly. 
Thankfully, there are some simple steps we can take to help our furry friends during the winter months. It can be comforting to wrap up in our cosiest jumpers and jackets when the cold weather arrives, so it is important to remember that our furry friends could also be feeling the chill and may need extra blankets or bedding to snuggle up in. It's also a good idea to raise their beds off the floor to keep them away from draughts. Choosing an igloo bed or creating a cosy den for your furry family member using blankets, pillows and bedding will help them retain their body heat, not to mention giving them a safe haven to escape the outdoors when it is particularly cold. When the temperatures drop, some dogs, particularly those who are older, unwell or have thinner fur, may find it helpful to wear a waterproof coat which will keep them warm and dry. Make sure the jacket is well fitted and non-restrictive as otherwise it could rub them and cause sores or make them feel cold if the damp gets underneath. For more information about how to keep your pets safe and warm this winter, visit https forward stroke www.pdsa.org.uk stroke winter pet care advice. A plan to build flats on a tiny patch of grass in a city street has been withdrawn following an outcry from neighbours. The application by Hartnell Homes would have seen the three-storey block built on the corner of Chuckett's Close and Chuckett's Lane off Droitwich Road. Dozens of neighbours spoke out against the plan and the application has now been scrapped according to Worcester City Council. Objectors to the plan said the patch of grass on the corner of the residential streets was too small to house a three-storey building. The plans for, the, for included two two-bed and one one-bed flat, as well as five parking spaces, three of which would have been built on a patch of grass opposite. One objector, Jeanette Martin of Checkins Lane, said... I think it's absolutely unnecessary. I can't understand why they'd want to put flats there. Checkett's Lane hasn't got any rooms for any more flats. Dan Tippin, also Checkett's Lane, said in an objection, this tiny green patch of land should remain a green open space. The proposed three-storey high development on a road where parking space is already limited should not be allowed to go ahead in any shape or form. Also objecting, Jim and Sandra Rowland of Checkett's Lane said this proposal would definitely lead to further conflict for parking space, loss of light to our property and that of several neighbours, increased noise and air pollution, less privacy, increased traffic and loss of the last green space. Highways officers at Worcestershire County Council had recommended the plan should be turned down for not including acceptable parking. Officers said that while five spaces would be built in line with standards, the spaces were too small and some would force drivers to reverse onto Checkett's Lane, which is, which is already busy and sandwiched by the even busier Droitwich and Ombersley Roads. The recently published review of the South Worcestershire Development Plan included the nearby Checkett's Lane industrial estate as a potential site for up to 39 new homes. And lastly, production of the first coins that include an image of King Charles for circulation has started, beginning the transition from Queen Elizabeth II to her son's portrait on the nation's coinage. 
workers at the Royal Mint will produce 9.6 million copies of a memorial 50 pence coin in honour of the late Queen. The coin will begin appearing in the public's change through banks and post offices from December. There are approximately 27 billion coins bearing the portrait of the late Queen currently in circulation in the UK and these will remain legal tender being replaced over time. And now I'm going to read the thought for the day followed by the obituaries this week. So I'd like first to say thank you very much to to Sue, to Janet and to Liz and uh, and obviously to all of you for listening. Um, we get a little more serious now. And good night to you. At just the right time when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now the obituaries. Anthony Edward Chance, known as Tony, passed away in St John's on the 20th of October, aged 85. A private cremation has taken place. So there are no, and there is no, uh, no uh, mention of a funeral director there, I'm afraid, for you to contact. Joyce Lawrence passed peacefully away on the 24th of October, aged 82. Um, a funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 10th of November at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left at the, at the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 to 70 Ombsley Road, Worcester. And uh, bright colours are requested for the funeral. Thomas Reginald Cook died peacefully at home on the 12th of October, aged 87. His funeral service will take place on Tuesday the 8th of November at St Barnabas Church at 12 noon, followed by the committal at Worcester Crematorium at 1 o'clock. Family flowers please only, but donations can be made to Cancer Research UK. All inquiries to be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors at, 20, at 41 St Nicholas Street and that's telephone number 01905 22892. Maria Ienzi has passed away on the 9th of October, aged 83. The service will take place at St George's Church on the 31st of October. So that's actually happened um, and she has been buried at Astwood. Um, uh, any donations that wished, you wish to make, if you know the family, can be sent to the Diabetes UK charity or sent direct, uh, well it says sent to the family or to the charity. George Langstone, formerly of Worcester Bosch, died peacefully on the 21st of October, aged 82. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on the 9th of November at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for Midlands Air Ambulance can be left at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery uh, at that 6870 Ombersley Road, as we mentioned earlier. Roy James Welch, formerly of Metalbox, 
has died peacefully on the 25th of October, aged 84. His funeral service is on Thursday, the 10th of November at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations for Alzheimer's Research UK may be left to the collection on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Omsey Road, and that's WR37EU. Vera Day has died on the 23rd of October, aged 85. A funeral service will take place on Thursday the 10th of November at 10am. Flowers are welcome and may be sent to the Co-op Funeral Care Worcester, 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS. And Bob, or Robert Mann, uh, a retired postal worker, uh, he he died very peacefully and he'll be greatly missed. A funeral service has taken place already at Astwood Crematorium. Um, oh no, it, it hasn't happened. I'm so sorry about that. It hasn't happened yet. It's on the 8th of November at 2.30. And flowers may be sent or donations to welc- to, a- to acorns are welcomed. Sorry, I, I uh, made a bit of a mess of that one. But uh, nevertheless, I think the details were there. Stephen Kingdon, um, he's passed away. He died on the 16th of October, aged 65. His funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium on Wednesday, the 9th of November at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for guide dogs or the RNLI may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 68 to 70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. And remember all that we remember all those families in our thoughts and prayers and uh, wish you um, peace. Do take care. The music will follow now. <laughs> 